0: Fear is an independently produced podcast. To support the show, visit www.downhomefear.com. Hello and welcome to Down Home Fear, a podcast where we explore true crimes and strange happenings of the American South. My name is Keegan, and this is episode 15. Like many other people, I think I first learned of today's story because of a movie, a movie that starred the comedian slash musician Jack Black, and that was directed by Richard Linklater who some of you may know as having been behind a bunch of great stoner and art house movies, including Dazed and Confused and the adaptation of A Scanner Darkly. Some may say that Linklater and Black were an unlikely duo to spearhead a true crime film, The 2011 film, simply titled Bernie, was a biopic about the strange relationship between a charismatic funeral director named Bernie Tita and a wealthy, famously callous old widow named Marjorie Nugent. What started as an unlikely but close friendship became strained over the years, and in the fall of 1996, an objectively minor argument ended with Bernie shooting Marjorie four times in the back and stuffing her in a freezer. More on that in just a little bit. Small towns and the close-knit communities that they create are often a subject of fascination. What would the cult hits Twin Peaks or Fargo have been without the veneer of cozy middle American wholesomeness to juxtapose the grim topic of murder? Of course, the truth is that depravity exists everywhere. So far, down-home fear has taken us from the big cities of southern Florida to the rural mountains of eastern Tennessee, and many places in between. Today we'll add yet another small town to the list. Carthage, Texas, a town with a population of just 6,000. Located in eastern Texas, not far from the Louisiana border, the landscape is flat and green. Oil and agriculture are the two main industries in that region. In fact, the oil industry had brought wealth to a few fortunate people in the area over the years, and one of them was Rod Nugent. Rod's wife was named Marjorie Nugent, and together they had a son and eventually three granddaughters. Rod died in March of 1990, and his funeral was overseen by a mortician named Bernie Tita. Now, I'm not sure if everyone fully understands what a mortician does. I know I didn't really understand it until I started doing this podcast. The role of a mortician, also known as a funeral director or undertaker, is that they are the man or woman who is involved in the profession of actually preparing a person's dead body for burial. They perform a variety of tasks, often including embalming, burial, cremation, and actually planning and making the arrangements for a person's funeral ceremony. So this is what Bernie did for a living, and he was actually really good at it. He was really well regarded by members of the Carthage community and his colleagues at the funeral home that he worked at, not only for his technical skills with preparing the bodies for burial, but also for his interpersonal skills. He was really, really known for being a people person and for being extremely good at comforting grieving families and helping them through the emotionally traumatic process of burying a loved one. Bernie was not originally from Carthage, Texas. He had moved there just a few years before meeting Marjorie Nugent but he was really well-liked by the community. Hardly anyone had a bad thing to say about him. He was known not just for his skills as a funeral director, but also for being devoutly religious and having a very jubilant personality. He had a flair for the arts. He really enjoyed directing and starring in local theatrical productions. He also enjoyed singing in church and things like that. So, the newly widowed Marjorie Nugent first met Bernie Tita at her husband's funeral. They met again a few days later when Bernie stopped by her home, which was a large, ranch-style, 10,000-square-foot mansion on the edge of town. Remember that Marjorie and her husband were very, very wealthy. Bernie said that he just meant to check on her and see if she needed any help with anything around the house. This was common for him to do for families that he had provided funeral services for. But very surprisingly, Marjorie and Bernie struck up a friendship and quickly became almost inseparable friends. Why was this surprising? Well, for one thing, Marjorie was 74 years old when she met Bernie. Bernie, on the other hand, was in his early 30s. Not to mention, Marjorie was a very intense person. In fact, she was known for being cold and waspish. And this is a direct contrast to Bernie's bubbly, flamboyant personality. Beyond just being intense and cold, Marjorie was known for being downright mean as well. She was known around town for having a very fierce temper and lashing out at people. Perhaps as a testament to this, she was estranged from her only son. Finally, as I mentioned earlier, Marjorie was very wealthy. After her husband's death, she was left with a personal fortune estimated to have been over six million dollars. And while Bernie wasn't poor and lived comfortably, he certainly wasn't anywhere near as well off as Marjorie. Either way, they seemed to have become the closest of friends. In 1991, Marjorie modified her will to disinherit her son and leave everything to Bernie once she died. A couple years later, in 1993, Marjorie actually asked Bernie to leave the funeral home where he had worked for nine years and formally work for her as her full-time personal assistant and business manager meaning that Bernie would handle most of her finances and look over her bank accounts and all of that good stuff. She not only paid him a salary for this work, but she showered him with expensive gifts, including clothing, cars, and even things like flight lessons, because Bernie wanted to become a small aircraft pilot. Bernie was a young man and I think that maybe people suspected he was looking for kind of like a sugar mommy or something like that. While their relationship certainly raised a few eyebrows around Carthage, Bernie himself has always said that the relationship between him and Marjorie was never sexual in nature, and that they were simply just very close platonic friends. In fact, he would later reveal after... Uh, you know, being arrested and going to prison, that he was living as a closeted homosexual during his time in Carthage. And he um, kept that very secret. I mean, again, this is small-town Texas in the early 90s. It's not exactly the most progressive of environments. While Bernie and Marjorie were very different in age and social background, They did share a passion for arts and culture, something that, as we've discussed, is very, very important to Bernie. They not just went to plays and museums throughout the United States, but they flew internationally and went on lavish trips to Germany, Scotland, England, Egypt, and many other international locations. All of this was always on Marjorie's tab. In 1994, Marjorie's granddaughters went to visit her in Carthage, and while they would later go on to describe themselves as being very close to their grandmother, I think that it's obvious that there was quite a bit of distance between them. I mean, their own father was estranged from her, and pretty much across the board, even people who seem to have somewhat liked Marjorie, said that she was a very kind of, like, vicious, mean woman. I mean, that's that's just the, the um, reality. Anyhow, in interviews that you see with the granddaughters these days, they always try to portray their grandmothers having been very warm and loving and friendly, and that just doesn't seem anything like the sort of description that anyone else has to say about her. Regardless, they say that they went to visit her sometime during 1994. And when they went to the house, they knocked on the door and it took Marjorie a while to answer. And when she did finally open the door, she did not recognize the granddaughters. And she demanded that they get off her property. And they spoke with her for a little bit convinced her to let them inside the house. And when they did go inside, they saw framed photos of Bernie all throughout the house. And they also noticed that all of the photographs of their grandfather, Rod, had been taken down. They asked her who this man was because they had never heard of Bernie Tita before they had never met Bernie. Their grandmother had never mentioned Bernie apparently. And so Marjorie explains, you know, he's my friend. He helps me out around the house. He's my personal assistant, blah, blah, blah. And they leave after having this very bizarre interaction with their grandmother. And I guess they don't think to really follow up on it. And a couple of key things here, just regarding the relationship with the granddaughters. First of all, if I went to visit one of my grandparents, and they were saying that they did not recognize me and were acting very paranoid and weird like that, especially if they had been living alone ostensibly for a long period of time, I would immediately want to take them to a hospital to get them checked out for dementia. I think that's probably like the number one thing that would come to mind for me. I definitely wouldn't just be like, oh, well, grandma doesn't recognize me all of a sudden, and she seems to be spending a lot of time with this strange man who I've never heard of before. All right, well, bye. You know, like, I I wouldn't just bounce. Um, So I think that's kind of a testament to the relationship that these granddaughters had with their grandmother. And in addition to that, the fact that they didn't know who Bernie was I mean, Bernie and Marjorie were super, super close, and they had been super, super close for almost, um, let's see, it was 1994, so that would have been almost five years at that point, and they've never heard of this guy. Like, she she had never mentioned him or anything like that. If this story is true, then it's almost as if the granddaughters hadn't spoken with her in a period of several years. Today, when Bernie is asked to talk about his relationship with Marjorie, he says that by about 1995, the relationship had really begun to sour. He said that Marjorie had become very emotionally abusive, constantly yelling at him, saying mean-spirited things, screaming all the time, nagging him all the time, And it was just becoming too much for him to really handle. And there was an incident where they got in a very heated argument. And Bernie actually told her, um, he says, that he wasn't going to work for her anymore in a professional capacity. And also wanted to end their personal relationship. Because he, he had just become too fatigued to drained by her constant negative behavior. So they have this heated argument, and he gets in his car, and he's driving down Marjorie's driveway, which is gated, and Marjorie actually used the remote control to close the gate and prevent Bernie from being able to drive out. And this is actually depicted in the movie Bernie, the the, uh, biopic. I watched some interviews with Jack Black and Richard Linklater, and they both recalled this story, and they noted that Bernie easily could have just left his vehicle and gone on foot. You know, it's not like her house was a Supermax prison or something. He could have just left his car there and, you know, walked down the street, called for a cab or whatever. But he, he didn't. He, he had a very, very codependent relationship with Marjorie Nugent, and it would ultimately be his downfall. I found a pretty interesting interview from 48 Hours on CBS where the actor who plays Bernie in the movie, Jack Black, speaks a little bit about what his thoughts on Bernie's emotional state and temperament are and this is interesting because to prepare for the role jack black actually sat down and spoke with bernie extensively about what had happened throughout the course of his relationship with marjorie nugent and i found it to be pretty insightful so i'm going to play a little bit of that interview now
1: the thing about playing bernie is that uh, he's lovable and it's really important to Bernie that he be loved. You know, he loves people, and he and he doesn't, he doesn't want anyone to to dislike him. And uh, the idea of having enemies or people that don't like him really, I think, gets under his skin and bothers him. And I think that was part of his his relationship with Marjorie is, he didn't want to have, someone like Marjorie, hate him. So he was super kind, maybe to a fault. He was so kind that maybe he had a problem letting out his anger when he had it if he had resentment he would never let it out he would be nice and sweet and he would kind of keep that tucked away and pressure would build he needed a a release valve i think that he doesn't really have of being an ass sometimes just to let off some steam
0: as black says in the end of that interview Perhaps a safe release valve is exactly what Bernie needed all those years working for and attempting to be a friend for Marjorie Nugent, but it's something that unfortunately he just didn't have. On November 19th, 1996, around 10 o'clock a.m., Bernie goes over to Marjorie's house to pick her up so they can go to a restaurant together. Bernie recalls that he got in a pretty minor argument with Marjorie. He says that he was walking out the door to the garage so he could get the car started and Marjorie was just nagging at him. Here's a clip of Bernie talking about what happened to that day in a interview that he did for a local news station called KLTV7 in Texas.
1: I don't know exactly what caused that morning to happen. Uh, I called her and I said, we're going to Longview. Uh, I, I'm gonna run to take my, my clothes to the cleaners. Uh, would you like to ride with me? We'll go to Hunan's and eat some Chinese food. And she said, uh, yeah. And um, so I went out there to, to go and pick her up. and. I don't know. It was just uh, she was starting nagging at me. It's about something, and I don't know really uh, um, how how that felt. But it it felt like that because it was really um, I got scared. Yeah, you know? I got scared, and um, I I, uh, I didn't know what to do.
0: Uh, he kind of glosses over the actual shooting, but what happened is he took a twenty-two caliber rifle that Marjorie kept around the house for shooting armadillos and crows and other just pests in her backyard, and he shot her four times in the back. He claims that this all happened in a sort of dissociative state, which we'll get into in just a little bit. Instead of calling 911, he actually dragged Marjorie back into the house and wrapped her up in a blanket and stuffed her into a large freezer that was kept in a walk-in pantry. So he kept her there in the freezer for nine months, and proceeded to go about his life the same way he always had. He continued using Marjorie's money to pay her bills because she'd given him full access to all of her bank accounts, and he also used it to buy himself various items. And we're not talking about small purchases here, we're talking literally millions of dollars Of Marjorie Nugent's fortune that he spent. He rationalized this behavior by recalling a conversation where Marjorie once told him that she wanted him to enjoy the money that she'd given him and by assuming that she wouldn't have given him access to her bank accounts if she didn't want him to use that money as well. He invested in local businesses, he even bought cars for people, he pumped a lot of Marjorie's money back into the community of Carthage, Texas, which I think is really interesting. It's almost like he was maybe trying to atone for what he had done by doing something positive with the money that he was effectively stealing People didn't really ask too many questions for a while about what had happened to Marjorie. Marjorie did not have many friends, and her family was quite distant from her, so it took a while for people to notice that something was amiss. When people would ask Bernie about where Marjorie Nugent was, he would use a variety of excuses, saying that oh, well, she's been ill lately, so she's been at the hospital a lot, or, oh, she's at home, you know, just taking a nap. Sorry, she can't speak with you right now. She can't come to the phone right now. She has Alzheimer's. She is not lucid, etc., cetera, et cetera. And eventually Marjorie's cousin, one of the few people who she was somewhat close with, caught on to what bernie was doing on august 18th 1997 nine months since marjorie had been stuffed into the freezer the nugent family finally called the cops and the local sheriff nugent's son and one of the granddaughters went to the property for a wellness check they searched all through the house and couldn't find her But then the granddaughter says that she remembered something that Marjorie used to say about storing food in the freezer before leaving for long trips. And so she went to see if there was any food that she had placed there, thinking, well, maybe she had gone on a long vacation and we'll know that by seeing if she put any food in the freezer. This was a very large freezer. Um, Based off of photos I've seen of it, it was probably about six feet wide by maybe four to five feet tall. It was like one of those big freezers that you would probably normally see in someone's garage, Um, but she kept it inside in the pantry. And when the granddaughter went and opened the lid on the top of this freezer, she looked in and she saw the top of her grandmother's head just kind of packed in along with the different frozen dinners and frozen vegetables and other stuff that Bernie had buried her with to cover her up. I can only imagine how terrifying this must have been for the granddaughter. It's like something out of a horror movie. Once the full team of crime scene investigators got out to Marjorie Nugent's property, they decided to actually take the full freezer out of the house and then load it on the back of a flatbed truck and drive it to a morgue so that they could do a proper autopsy. So they took the full freezer with uh, Marjorie Nugent still in it and drove it off to, uh, to the morgue. It took her body two full days to thaw out enough for a proper autopsy. Bernie Tita was arrested very quickly, and he confessed almost immediately that he had murdered Marjorie Nugent. He was charged with first-degree murder. Many people in the community actually advocated for Bernie, though. They said that he was such a nice guy that he would never do anything like this unless there was a very, very good reason. The prosecutor who was involved with the case was named Danny Buck Davidson, and he actually had to request to get the trial moved to a different county because he felt there wouldn't be a fair trial in Carthage because Bernie was so well-liked by his peers. So they got the trial moved to Henderson, Texas, located in Rusk County, where the trial lasted for less than a week, and the jury deliberated for just 20 minutes before sentencing Bernie Tita to life in prison for first-degree murder. But over a decade later, the decision went on to be appealed because a lawyer who heard about the case, named Jody Cole, felt that justice had not been served. She argued that Bernie had been suffering from a dissociative episode during the murder and that it had not been premeditated as Danny Buck had suggested in court. She said that stress had triggered a dissociative episode and that Bernie had underlying mental health issues due to being molested by his uncle at age 12. If you've never heard of a dissociative episode before, it's a psychological phenomenon where a person becomes detached from reality. In some cases, it can involve an amnesia component where The individual simply cannot recall events that happened to them during a certain time. And it's definitely not like some made up pseudoscience bullshit, like it's definitely a real thing. Dissociative episodes are sometimes associated with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and other disorders of that nature. That was a highly simplified explanation of dissociative episodes. It's a very, very complicated phenomenon, and I could probably do like a full two-hour episode on it. On May 6th, 2014, a new sentencing trial was ordered, and Bernie was temporarily released from prison. During the time that he was released from prison, Bernie actually lived in Austin, Texas, with the filmmaker Richard Linklater, who had directed the movie based off of his life. In April 2016, Bernie's new sentencing trial began in Henderson, Texas. He was still too popular for his trial to be in Carthage. Richard Linklater actually took the stand in defense of Bernie as did others. At this point, Bernie had already spent 16 years in prison. The key thing here was that the defense wanted to paint Bernie's crime as having been caused by a dissociative state brought on by an abusive relationship with Marjorie and childhood trauma and other mental health issues. The prosecutors, however, during the new sentencing trial painted a very compelling argument that Bernie had not just taken advantage of his relationship with Marjorie, but that he had actually actively forged documents and stolen millions of dollars from her over the years leading up to and after her murder they had a bunch of different examples of documents that Bernie had forged, stealing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars from Marjorie. Also, whereas in the movie, Bernie is depicted as simply snapping and shooting Marjorie in the back in kind of a daze, in reality, there is evidence that he shot her once which severed her spine and caused her to crash to the floor head first, paralyzed. And then, as she lay on the floor still breathing, Bernie went up and shot her three more times at point blank range, which is a little bit more cold blooded. On April 2nd, 2016, the jury sentenced Bernie to 99 years in prison. So, Bernie's back in prison today. The people of Carthage are said to have mixed feelings about him. Some people think he should be released. Others think that he got what he deserved. He'll be eligible for parole in 2029 when he is 70 years old. Just a little younger than Marjorie was when she first met him. Ernie Tita has definitely made some bad choices in his life. But I don't think he should be locked up until he dies. He seems like the sort of guy who could get out and do really great work, maybe with rehabilitating other fellow offenders. He doesn't seem like a danger to society. And I feel bad for him. I really do. I hope that he gets out. I hope that he gets a chance to redeem himself and contribute to society once again. If you're interested in sharing your own thoughts about Bernie, I would recommend that you join the group on Facebook. Search Down Home Fear Podcast in the Facebook search bar, and it will come up. You can also tweet at me at Fear. You can email me by sending an email to Fear at gmail.com. Down Home Fear is an independently produced show, which means that I pay for everything and do everything related to the podcast. If you want to help me keep the show running, check out downhomefear.com, where you can find a page where you can uh you know make a donation to support the show you uh you can also find other bonus material for past episodes on there so again that's www.downhomefear.com some exciting news for you i've been working on merch so we will have some cool stickers available on the website sometime hopefully in the near future i've got a couple of designs that i've been working on and i think they're kind of cool more details about that will be forthcoming over the next few weeks my name is keegan this has been another installment of down home fear thank you for joining me